0: Well, um, I'm just going to give you some background about me. As um, uh, the guy used to say in Dragnet, uh, just the facts, ma'am. I've been a follower of Jesus now for a little over 43 years. And because I love God and love his word so much... In reality, I've only missed about 10 mornings of reading the Bible in that time. So I've spent a lot of time digging in. And at first, I had a lot to learn. But one thing I've appreciated about God from the beginning of getting to know him and his word is his total, almost shocking honesty. Honesty about real life. One thing that I like is that he never tells us pie in the sky. Sometimes his followers will twist things, but not him. And he never sugarcoats anything. The essence of scripture from creation to recreation when Messiah Savior returns is this. Left to our own devices. No person is good enough. No person is strong enough to live as God intended for us to live so that we could enjoy him unless and until we surrender to him in dependent childlike faith, And faith that he is the, not just a, but the extremely strong, forgiving, and loving father who expects honesty and trust from his children. Well, as we were listening to the scripture this morning, and and, and it began with the description of the beginning of Pentecost in Acts, ended with Jesus' last command. But the heart of it, the center of it, was this passage from Romans. And did you hear the tension in the two themes where God tells us both of great groaning and suffering in this world? And that as God's adopted children, we have hope as a gift of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, so we can live in eager expectation, even with all that's happening. Now, our small excerpt from Acts tells us how 120 disciples of Jesus were gifted by the Holy Spirit to speak languages they did not know. And then soon after this, and it's really the paragraph after, people from 15 nations heard of the wonders of God in their own language. Now, this gift of the Holy Spirit at the creation of the church of Jesus Christ, because the church was born that day, is the way God chose to give weak people the ability to do Jesus' last and vitally important command, namely to make disciples, followers of Jesus, of people of all nations. And people in his church are to make disciples wherever they are in their life's journey, and then to baptize them and to teach them to obey all Jesus commanded. So there's the high-level summary of what we're going to look at today, but now let's examine the details that support this summary so we can better understand it. So uh, I broke this into two halves, splitting it in the middle of the Romans passage. And the acts in the beginning of the Romans passage can be summed up in this way, spirit-filled disciples, are given gifts as God's children to have hope while waiting for freedom from suffering. And there's God in his honesty again. We do suffer in this world. So the Acts passage can be summed up this way. The Holy Spirit filled the disciples and gave them to speak in other languages. Let's look at it verse by verse, and seek to understand what God's really saying. We're told the day of Pentecost had come, and all were being together in the same place. Now, there's a time here, okay? In all days, both special and ordinary, come upon us in the steady march of time. Now, Pentecost Actually, if you look in Leviticus and the Torah, the books of Moses, it is the third feast of springtime, and it's called the Feast of Weeks. Now, now let me explain to you what that means. It was the eighth first day of the week after Passover and first fruits. So seven full weeks plus one equals 50 Hence, the Greek name Pentecost or 50th day. Okay, and in essence, it celebrated the spring harvest. People near the equator are very fortunate. They get to have two harvests in the year because it's a more temperate climate. And it says 120 disciples of Jesus. You can look back into chapter one. They had been praying for 10 days in an upper room Jesus ascended on the 40th day. This was the 50th day. Then we're told suddenly a noise from heaven being carried by a violent wind filled the whole house where they were sitting. So we have the sense of hearing a sound. A sound was filling. It was like a tornado. And the house was filled with noise as they were sitting, as they were praying. Then we're told, and they observed, having been divided like tongues of fire, and it sat on each one of them. So now we've got another sense involved. First they heard a violent wind, then they saw divided tongues of fire, and both happened to them. These are passive verbs, which means God is acting, And they are going to be responding. And then we're told all were filled of the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other languages as the Spirit was giving them to utter. So we're told each and every one of them, all 120 men and women, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And... They spoke in other languages. And as I already said, in the next paragraph, we're told they were declaring the wonders of God in languages they didn't know. And this freaked the people out. Who are these poor, ignorant fishermen from Galilee to be speaking in our language, which they don't even know, and they're telling us of the wonders of God? Now, I've put on the back of the bulletin, for those of you who are here this morning, um, the passage from Deuteronomy where Moses reminds them just before they're about to go into the land and, and, and take and fulfill the promise that God had made to Abraham, Moses reminded them of all the wonders of God that got them liberated from Egypt. And you can also read about them in Psalm 71. And we must understand they did not do this on their own, but by the Holy Spirit as a gift from God. This gift to be able to proclaim the gospel in another language was the very first step that God took of this humanly impossible task to make disciples of all nations. How do you think they felt? You know, 11 people, 11 men being told that they were going to start a process so all people could be disciples. They felt inadequate. I still feel inadequate after all these years and all the things we have these days. Here's the good news about Pentecost. When we receive the Holy Spirit and he comes into us, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, in our weakness. We should not fret over that. If we have God's Spirit, he helps us. Now let's go forward to the passage that Paul was writing to the churches in Rome. And the first half of this passage says the Spirit makes People to be children of God in the first place, joint heirs with the Messiah, and gives them hope while they are waiting to be set free from suffering and bondage, which is part of the human condition. So again, let's look at this verse by verse, section by section. As many as are being led by the Spirit of God are being sons of God. The Holy Spirit makes everyone who will be led by him. Some people refuse, but those who will be led by him become sons of God. And he goes on to say in the following two verses, because you all have not received again a spirit, a bondage to fear, But you all have received the spirit of son adoption by which we are crying, Abba, the Father, the Spirit himself bearing witness that we are children of God. And children here means both men and women, males and females, not just men, not just sons. Now this word bondage, we need to always remember in those of us who have had the Holy Spirit come into our life through faith of Jesus. We know that before people are adopted by the Holy Spirit, as God's children in Jesus, they are in bondage and fear. And if you look around at all the stuff that's happening in the news and all the things that people are being upset about, We shouldn't be surprised as fewer and fewer people are following Jesus Christ. More and more people are trapped in bondage and fear. What else would we expect? But then we're told once adoption takes place and people become God's children, there's no need to be bound by the fear of anything in this world. To know God is to be set free from fear. And then we're told the Holy Spirit will bear witness to this adoption by God deep in the soul of all who have become God's children. Children of God are adopted by and through the Holy Spirit. Moving on in the passage, but if children, then also... Heirs, heirs indeed of God, but joint heirs, joint heirs of the Messiah. Since we are suffering with him, that also we may be glorified with him. Now think about this. I was actually reading this in Deuteronomy this morning. I kind of feel sorry for God. Do you realize what God's inheritance is? Us. You know, I say to myself, couldn't he do better than that? He's God. But those of us who were weak but give ourselves to God, we actually become his inheritance. And we inherit from him and jointly with his son, the Savior, Jesus Christ, And this now all has to do with identity. You hear a lot of people, oh, I'm on an identity search. Well, all who are in Christ by faith identify with him, both his suffering and, oh, what he suffered for us, and that we will be glorified by God with him. In other words... Um, I, this image comes to me a lot as, as I study God's word and prepare to preach it and teach it. Suffering and glory are two sides of the same coin. There's always the two and they're always intention. But Paul now goes on, again, he keeps ramping up the hope from the despair we're born into. For I am reckoning that the sufferings of the present season are not worthy with the coming of the glory to be revealed in us. So he's comparing now with the future. Christians are suffering in this world. Again, John sixteen thirty three should not be translated as a future or as what will happen. Jesus actually said, in this world you are experiencing tribulation. But this will fade away when Jesus comes in his glory. And then he's fully revealed in his people. And again, this is our hope. This is what we hold on to. This is all From God, not from us. Okay, we are powerless to do this, but this is God's work in us. And then he says, because the deep desire of the creature, the revelation of the sons of God is expectantly awaiting. And if you think about this, and if you go back, and I reread the early chapters of Genesis this week, all creatures were harmed by Adam and Eve's rebellion against God. And so now each and every creature instinctively is waiting for the full revelation of God's spirit-filled people. And then Paul goes further and elaborates because the creature, animals, all living beings on earth that God created, was made subject to futility, not of his own will, but by reason of the one having subjected in hope. So again, God is the source of hope. Before Yahweh God gave Adam and Eve the penalty for their rebellion, he gave them hope. Because the first thing he did was he addressed the serpent. And he said, a descendant of the woman is coming someday who will crush your head. And of course, that's Jesus Christ. Because the creature himself will be set free, liberated from bondage of corruption, in the liberty of the glory of the children of God. See, as God works in us and makes us his children and we get to cooperate with him in the great work of redemption he's doing, there's coming a day when all will be put right. So as people become children of God by the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives to bring them to God in Jesus, all creatures are also set free from corruption And death as God adopts more and more children. So now we've reached the midpoint. And the point here is that children of God are adopted by the Holy Spirit. Remember when Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him? It's the Holy Spirit who does that. That's why Pentecost is so wonderful. And now the second half of our text this morning. The Holy Spirit helps. His first fruits, okay? When we put our faith in God, we become first fruits. And we are suffering and we do have infirmities in this life, but he prays. He prays so that we will do God's will, so that we will do Jesus' last command, which we're coming to, which is to make disciples of all nations. So, The second half of our Romans passage is seeing creation is suffering. The Spirit helps those who are his first fruits um, in their infirmities. And he prays. He prays for the saints according to God. So again, verse by verse. For we have known that all creation is groaning together and suffering together until now. Now, again, this is something we have over the people of the world who don't know God, who don't know his word, and are flipping out. Christians have come to know what universal suffering and groaning is all about, in part by what Jesus did for us on the cross. And he now reveals this to his people from spirit inspired scripture in the light of what he did. We now understand Isaiah and the suffering servant and all of those things and how we fit into this big picture. And not only, but also, we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit are groaning in ourselves, expectantly awaiting the redemption of our body. And this is another New Testament theme. So Paul is now connecting the animals and all the rest of creation with people who have been adopted as God's children by the Holy Spirit. We're all waiting expectantly. But even while waiting in hope, God's children are currently suffering and groaning. And then we have this hope. The redemption of our body means there will come a time, and you can read about it in the last two chapters of Scripture, Revelation 21 and 22. There is coming a time when we will have new bodies not subject to either illness or death. Paul continues, by hope we have been saved. We have been saved. But hope having been seen is not hope. We don't have to hope for what is, what we've seen. For who is seeing already what he's hoping for. No, we wouldn't hope for it anymore. But if we are not seeing, and that's where we are at this point in time, we are waiting through patient endurance. So God saves all who come to him, drawn by the Spirit, in the faith of the Messiah, Savior, Christ Jesus. But in these last days, between the two advents or comings of Jesus, When he came the first time, and he died, and he raised, and he went to heaven, gave the Holy Spirit, and we're waiting for him to come again, we do not see the fulfillment of everything, that which we're really hoping for. And this morning, as I was going over this, I thought of Bono's first gospel song that he ever wrote. And he says, I believe in the kingdom come, but he says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. None of us has. It will be fulfilled when Jesus returns. And therefore, while we're waiting, we need the Holy Spirit to give us the gift of patient endurance. Paul goes on and he says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our infirmities. We don't like to think about this. You know, no one is as strong as he or she would like to be. We all have weaknesses so we can thank God for the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, our infirmity. For what we may pray, according to what we ought to pray, we have not known. But the Spirit himself is making intercession and groanings inexpressible. You know, I got to this at the end of of our prayer this morning. I, I ran out of things to say, but thank God we don't have to know everything we should pray. We're ignorant of exactly how we should pray. We do our best, but we can be grateful, grateful, that after he facilitates our adoption as God's children, the Holy Spirit prays for us. What could be better than that? And then Paul concludes our section of Romans this morning saying, and the one examining the hearts has known the mind of the Spirit because according to God, he, the Spirit, is making intercession on behalf of the saints. Think about that. Whenever you start to get down, the Holy Spirit is praying for us, interceding for us. The Father examines the hearts of people and has the very same mind as the Holy Spirit. That's what the Trinity is all about, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're separate but one And the good news is that the Spirit intercedes with the Father for those he is in the process of making holy as God is holy. That's what saints means, being sanctified by the gift of the grace of God. And you can read about it in 1 Peter 1. Again, I've given you the references. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. And now we're ready to consider the Great Commission. On Easter Sunday, we did everything but this. But here is Jesus' last commandment. He commands 11 disciples to make disciples of all the nations. So let's go to Matthew and and look at the end of the gospel that he was inspired to write. It says, the 11 disciples having gone into Galilee, to the mountain Jesus designated to them. So now we see, and we had heard this back at Easter uh, seven weeks ago, they obeyed what the resurrected Jesus commanded them through the women who saw him alive after the empty tomb. Then having seen him, they worshiped him. The 11, but others doubted. And having come, Jesus spoke to them. All power and authority has been given to me in heaven and upon the earth. Well, what's going on here? We have worship and doubt. And boy, I had to really dig into my grammars because this is kind of tricky in Greek. But I finally understood what's going on here. And don't forget, we look at a map, oh, 90 miles from uh, Jerusalem to Galilee. That took three days to walk in those days. Even riding a donkey, it took three days. And in those three days that it took them to get to Galilee and meet up with Jesus, many disciples by that time had heard stories about Jesus' resurrection appearances now, his 11 chosen disciples saw him and worshiped him, but there were others who probably had not yet seen him, seeing as believing, people say. They doubted that he had risen from the dead. But then Jesus declares his father has given him all power and all authority everywhere in heaven and on earth. And then Here it is. This is the Great Commission, and I'm I'm trying to to, put everything together as best I can. And basically, he says, having been directed or having been sent by me, you all must make all nations to be disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, And teaching them to observe or keep all things as much as I have commanded to you all to the eleven. There is but one command here. Jesus tells them to make disciples of all nations. Now, this, when they heard this, and again, Pentecost hadn't come at this time This is extremely difficult for 11 men who, as we know from the Gospels, failed Jesus again and again, most especially at his death on the cross. But Jesus gave them three actions, three, should we say, methods for making disciples. First, they will make disciples wherever they have been led on their life journey. Again, the, the, the Greek actually says, and I learned something new. We had talked about it Wednesday night and Thursday. I realized it's in the passive voice, having been sent. What does that mean? Well, Paul talked about how all the people of the world are living exactly where God wants them to live. So he's saying, wherever I have placed you, wherever you are right now, starting there, make disciples. And then when someone receives faith through our witness, then that one is to be baptized into him. Secondly, to come in, to the church the body of Christ and then thirdly once someone is in the way they become a disciple is to be instructed and taught to keep all that Jesus commanded his original disciples so make disciples how huh? wherever you are wherever God has put you witness to him when someone comes to him baptize and then teach. That's it. That's our mission. That's what Jesus has left us with. And then let's not forget this last verse. I alluded to it after it was read. But here it is. I believe this is the greatest promise in all of Scripture. It's the Emmanuel promise. In Hebrew, im means with. nu means us. Ale means God. With us, God. God has said he will always be with us. And this was fulfilled by the filling of the Holy Spirit of Jesus' 120 disciples in our first passage back in Acts. And now throughout the history of Christ's church, it has always been the Holy Spirit who has enabled God's children To obey the command that Jesus gave, his last command, through the actions that Jesus enumerated. Wherever we are, witness, baptize, teach. The Holy Spirit will help us in our weakness because every time I think about it, you know, who am I to do this? But thank God for the Holy Spirit. So let's wrap this up and bring our whole three readings from three sections of the Gospels in New Testament down to this. The gift of the Holy Spirit can make people to become God's children. And then God's children are given hope. In this age of suffering, while waiting with hope, for that return, that we can make disciples. And this is what God desires his people to do, as the Spirit helps them through intercession. Remember, Jesus is interceding for us, Hebrews. And from our passage this morning, so is the Holy Spirit. And let's not give shortchange to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who was given at Pentecost helps us, helps us in our weakness. Amen.